So yes, uh, we're continuing the going through the book of Genesis last week. Uh, Gunnar led us through much of chapter 25, uh, looking at the kind of the transition from Isaac and seeing the uh, covenant promise going to Isaac and and now uh, resulting in, in the two his two uh, sons Jacob and Esau. And now uh, today in, in chapter 26, we're going to shift the focus back from Jacob and Esau back to, to Isaac for a bit and, and seeing how God is, is working his covenant promise uh, through to Abraham, now passed along to Isaac, and, and we'll see how we are the recipients of that wonderful covenant. So again, uh, looking at Genesis chapter 26, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 33. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister, for he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of that place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again in the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Jar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him in that same night and said, I am the Lord, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, I am with you, and I will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. 
when Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahazath, his advisor, and Fickle, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? And they said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do no harm to us, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. And in the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. And Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug, and said to him, We have found water. And he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. That was a lot. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can look back and just see your faithfulness throughout, just from the very beginning, from creation, and just see you woven it through the pages of Scripture, your history of our lives. And so, Lord, this morning I ask that you would, uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would open my mouth to speak your word, Lord, that you would open our ears to hear your word, our minds to understand your word, and Lord, you would open our hearts to receive your word and apply it to our lives for your glory. In Christ, let me pray. Amen. All right. Well, again, we're continuing the story of Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob. Last week, we saw the spotlight shift a a little bit. Um, It first focused on Isaac and then kind of shifted on uh, Jacob and Esau for a bit. And and now we're, uh, and we'll see that uh, shift after today, we'll see that shift back from Isaac uh, to uh, Jacob and Esau, particularly on Jacob. Um, but today we get to see uh, that focus on Isaac and really seeing God's covenant with Abraham uh, continuing on to the next generation, just as God had promised. Here in verse 1, again, we, we see that there's a famine in the land. Um, I know for a lot of folks these days, we, do, we don't have a good concept of a famine where we have the uh, wonderful privilege of, you know, when, when we're hungry, we can just go to the, or before we even get hungry, we can just go to the grocery store, uh, grab whatever we can. But some of us are, are kind of feeling it a little bit. You know, we get tastes of famines here and there. I know the price of eggs has gone up uh, crazy recently. And for some of us, we're like, oh, we, we got chickens and we have our own eggs. And so we're not feeling it too much. But um, I know you know, drought is, is something that, you know, those of us in California are, are definitely familiar with. I grew up in Florida and we got all the rain that we need. Um, but here in California, I know up until recently, you know, and even still people are saying, well, the drought is, is still real. I know we've got a lot of rain, but don't, don't get too comfortable just yet. So we know, uh, we look and we see that there was a famine in the land. And if, uh, back then it made a huge impact. You know, people had to just up up and leave their their village, the the area where they were attending their crops and and their livestock, and they would have to move oftentimes to a a larger uh, city or, or one of the the great uh, areas. You know, sometimes having to travel long distances to get to where they can um, be to a normal source of water for for their crops, for their livestock, or, or even just to be able to find work uh, for a time. And so we see that there's a, a famine. Um, this one is, is just as severe as the one that, that Abraham had dealt with 
uh, back in in his days with. Um, and now, one thing I do want to note is this Abimelech is more than likely either the son or the grandson of King Abimelech from uh, that uh, Abraham dealt with back in chapter twenty. And the reason why um, this is likely the case is because Abimelech was uh, not the king's name per se, but it was a title similar to Pharaoh. We know Pharaoh was is is the common uh, title for for the king of Egypt. And you know there was there were many many pharaohs, and uh, likely there were there are many uh, kings, uh, King Abimelechs. And so the literal translation of Abimelech is my father is the king. So you know they can see how well that wouldn't make sense if it was just one person that was named that. But you know it was a series passed down. So that's where we are here today in today's passage with this encounter with Isaac and his family, and King Abimelech, and the the Philistines, the the people of Gerar. And the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Again, it was uh, common for folks to flee to a major hub uh, during a time of famine. But God here is, uh, is, is challenging Isaac, is given this first challenge saying, Hey, trust me to provide for you. Trust me to take care of you. Don't go down to Egypt. Not that that was bad for Abraham to go down because God brought his own uh, series of, of tests for Abraham's faith. Uh, but for Isaac specifically, God is saying, no, do not go down to Egypt. Uh, go dwell in the land of which I tell you. And moving along to verse 3, we see God continues, says, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. And see, just like with Abraham, God is the one who initiates the covenant with Isaac. And we see this term sojourn, sojourner, we see that theme uh, throughout. Uh, We see that Abraham was, was a sojourner. We now see that Isaac is being called to be a sojourner. And as we continue throughout the Old Testament, and even into the New Testament, we see God reminding his people of the calling that he had placed on their lives to be sojourners, first with the patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then with the, the people of Israel as they sojourned through different lands and making their way into the promised land that God, God had given them. And then we see in, in, uh, um, in the law that the people of Israel were commanded to treat sojourners well and and to be hospitable to them, and uh, we'll we'll see how how that applies to us and our identity as sojourners today. And so much like the people of Israel at the time of Moses writing this account in the book of Genesis, they were living that they were living that sojourners experience that being a traveler, being a, a stranger in a land uh, that did not belong to them as they made their way. Through the through the desert, as they left the captivity in Egypt and made their way to the Promised Land, we know their sojourn for many many years. In verse four, uh, God says, "I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws." And so we see this continuity of God's covenant with Abraham now passed to Isaac. And as we recall, Abraham was not perfect. You know, here we see that God is commending um, to Isaac um, on Abraham's behalf, saying, you know, he was, 
he was obedient. He followed my laws and so he and and my commands and so I blessed him. But we, you know, we've we've been, you know, taking this journey through Genesis and and uh we see that Abraham was not perfect. He he made mistakes and and yet we know that that he was he was faithful in uh in his obedience to God and that God was gracious to him when he did make those uh mistakes and and we're going to see that that is definitely the case with Isaac again today. Um, and so we see that uh, Isaac is receiving this covenant not out of anything that he has done on his own accord. Up to this point, uh, we just know that he's he's received that blessing, that covenant that God gave it to Abraham and now is passing on to him. It's a reminder for us that we are recipients of the covenant by grace through faith uh, passed down from uh, generation to generation of believers. In verse 6, we see, so Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, for he feared to say, my wife, thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. Now, many of us may remember, you know, some of the similarities uh, here with what Abraham did back in, uh, with Pharaoh in chapter 12 and with the previous king Abimelech in chapter 20. And I know for some of us, we may see that and be like, man, you know, what in the world, Isaac? What are you thinking? Well, you know, for some of us men today, we we may be able to relate. You know, we think our wives are very attractive. And, you know, some of us maybe even have some of those thoughts when we head down to the Westfield Mall, you know, thinking like, man, you know, I may be eyeballing my wife. You know, need to be careful. Man, that's your opportunity to say amen. I, I can resonate with that, you know. No, but, uh um but in all in all seriousness, you know this. It's a he was in a strange land, and and not knowing the the customs and and courtesies, you know he he was he was fearful. And uh, you know whether we can relate to that or not, you know he that was that was his reality. And we'll we'll unpack that a little more as as we go. So moving on in in verse eight, when he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now, with Abraham's blunders with Pharaoh and the former king of Abimelech, we recall that God is the one who revealed that uh, through a visions the warning about Sarah being Abraham's wife. But with this Abimelech, he sees Isaac laughing with Rebekah. Now, it's it's interesting to to note, you know, again we see that in our English translation, and we think like laughing with his wife, like how could that be a a tell, you know? Maybe, you know, a lot of the people in Gerar, the, the, um, you know, it was a lot easier to tell. But we know that as we unpack the Hebrew word, there's, there's some nuances to that. And so we know that laughing, is, as it's translated into many English, it's, it actually has uh, more of a connotation of, of like a, an in, uh, intimate playfulness. And so, you know, something that uh, would not have been uh, too common, you know, uh, you know, brothers and sisters usually... I mean, sometimes we have wonderful, you know, sibling relationships, but usually it's it's less, uh, you know, lovey-dovey, caring, and and more like this. So, um, 
hopefully not as we age and mature, but, uh, you know, let's be real. Sometimes that continues on as, as we get a little older as well. Uh, but it was enough to know where Abimelech was able to see something, something fishy going on here. That does not look like, um, you know, brother, sister, uh, intimacy. And so, so he calls Isaac in and, and says, what are you, what are you doing? Like, why would you lie to us? You know, here we are. We've received you into our land. You've been with us a while. And now I'm finding out, you know, by looking out a window that she's not your sister, but that she's your wife. Um, and so, uh, we see that almost by accident, this is revealed to Abimelech to protect the covenant, uh, through Abraham and now pass along to, to Isaac and Rebecca and that covenant continuing on. You know, that could have been, you know, if something uh, bad would have happened, that could have been, you know, cut it off right there, then and there. But we know that there's no accidents with God. We know that it was not by accident that Abimelech stumbled upon this truth. We know that it was through God's providence. Uh, God uses King Abimelech to protect Isaac and Rebekah. And, uh, you know, whether Abimelech, whether by knowing the stories of the previous Abimelech's uh, vision, you know, from his, his father, his grandfather saying like, oh man, when, uh, you know, last time we had, you know, somebody travel and, and come in, this, this Abraham, you know, God blessed him. But let me tell you a story about the time that he told me that um, his his wife was his sister, and so maybe maybe Abimelech had heard this story, and so he's like, "Oh, I don't want to, you know, risk, you know, incurring judgment." I see, saw how my uh, forefather took care of it. I'm going to follow likewise, or maybe um, it was out of his own sense of honor, and uh, regardless of what the motive was, what the cause, we see that he declares protection over Isaac and Rebecca. And in doing so, we see God's providence in using a pagan king to secure God's covenant promise for his people, and that nothing can thwart God's will. Moving on to verse 12, we see Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So we see this covenant blessing continue, pass along from Abraham, who, as we recall, God bless him. He was very wealthy and very rich. And, and as we remember, you know, the, uh, the firstborn, Isaac, received the great majority, um, scripture says, you know, all that Abraham had, he, he passed on to Isaac. So Isaac was already doing pretty well before he comes here. And, but then we see that he's blessed even more, uh, while he is being obedient to God in, in the land of, uh, Gerar. And yet, you know, we see that there's, uh, sir, there's some contention. Um, so we got to remember the context, a hundredfold return on, uh, him sowing those crops, that's huge. That would be huge, like in a, a time of, of normal, um, rain, fall, and whatnot. But again, this is during a time of famine. And so while a lot of other people are straggle, struggling in the area, here they're seeing, you know, Isaac just, you know, he, you know, sows here and just enormous crop. And they're just like, man, what's going on here, you know? And so we see that they try to kind of sabotage that. They're, 
they start, you know, plugging up some of those wells that that Isaac had uh, dug up again from from when his father was there, and and yet that doesn't stop uh, God from blessing Isaac. And we see not only was he blessed in uh, his crops, but he was also blessed in his flocks and his herds. Um, we see that he had many flocks and, and herds and, and many servants. That the Philistines they were they're envious, and so we see that you know, and it's also again the context is this is right after this big blunder that Isaac made, and so again we see that this God's blessing, His covenant, is not because of anything great that Isaac is doing. It's because of God's promise. You know, even in spite of this big blunder that Isaac had just done, God is blessing him. And uh and so, you know, but we see in this in this passage, in these verses here, um, the way of the world, never being content and always being envious of others. Now part of me wonders if Isaac had been honest regarding Rebecca being his wife, if Abimelech would have been more likely to support Isaac uh, when the rest of the Philistines were envious. But maybe you know that was enough to where he was like, "Yeah, you know what? Y'all are right. Let's let's try to get him out of here." You know, again, speculation, but you know it's it's interesting to think how how those things uh, possibly could have uh, made an impact. But nevertheless, Isaac is driven out by the Philistines. And we see, rather than responding in anger, Isaac brushes the dust off his feet and and continues on. In verse 17, we see Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, with the, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there was a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sitna, and he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Now again, it was common for uh, people in those lands that that were there permanently to go around and stop up some of the wells because, as we know, you know, wells um, they get used up, and uh, and so a lot of times, if if somebody knew, like, okay, our people are not using these wells, we're going to stop them up so that way, you know, these rogue herdsmen that are just kind of passing through, they're not going to use up all of our resources, and so uh, we can understand, you know, why they. They may have done that um, when Abraham had had journeyed out of that area, um, and so the the time gap be- between Abraham being there and now Isaac returning. But we see, you know, that Isaac or Isaac dug those wells up, and uh, and we know that that's not a that's not an easy uh, venture. It's not you know don't have the modern technology and machinery to dig a well uh, like like we do now. You know, that was it was a lot of work, a lot of labor, a lot of effort um, to to even just recover these previous wells, let alone digging some of these new ones. And so, you know, the quarreling over water um, is something that some of us may be able to relate to uh, nowadays. Uh, I know even, especially here in California, always reading on the news, you know, these contentions over, you know, water rights between, you know, big uh, farmers and uh, some of the local cities and whatnot. 
Um, and so, you know, it was even more so uh, a, a bigger point of contention uh, back in these days when they didn't have all the technology of, of routing water resources. Um, and so it's no surprise that this conflict intensifies during a time of famine and drought. But we see Isaac did not engage in conflict. He did not let his pride or his ego put his family at risk. He was also not arrogant in applying God's promise, and he did not presume that God would protect him if he initiated unnecessary violence over this conflict. He entrusted God to provide, and he did so as peacefully as possible. In Romans twelve eighteen, it reminds us, if possible, so, as, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. In verse 23, it says, From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you, and I will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Again, God appears to Isaac to reassure him of that covenant promise. Fear not, again, is a reminder that when God appears... The natural response to his awesomeness is fear. And so we see that whenever an angel of the Lord appears or whenever the Lord appears, um, you know, that the response is in awe and of fear. And the, the, almost the first words almost every time is fear not. So that's a, a comfort and assurance for us today. But we also see what was Isaac's response when the Lord appeared and spoke to him. His response was to build an altar and worship. And that is a, the right response for us when the Lord shows up in a mighty way in our lives, you know, we should just be turned and drawn to worship him. In verse 26, when Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Uhazeth, his advisor, and Fickle, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? And they said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be a swarm pact between us. Between you and us, let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed of the Lord. Now, I'm sure Isaac was concerned at first. After all, King Abimelech, his advisor, his general were present. Um, there was probably a large entourage of, of servants, of troops that came with uh, King Abimelech and his general and his advisor when they are coming to approach Isaac. And having already been run out of the area, I'm sure Isaac was, was concerned, man, man, what are, what's, what's this all about? And, uh, you know, after all that Isaac's endured, you know, his words, his response is, is not, not too harsh, not too hasty. He's wondering like, what, you know, what are you wanting now? I've, I've done all I can. You know, why do you hate me so much? But thankfully, that was not the case with this visit. Uh, there, there was not additional conflict with this visit. It was quite the opposite. See, even Abimelech and the people, the Philistines, had had to realize God's blessing upon Isaac. Everything that they had done, you know, they saw blessing when he was in Gerar. They, they pushed him out of the area. They tried stopping up his wells. No matter what they did, they saw the blessing of God on Isaac's life. And so they're like, all right, you know, we got to stop messing with this guy because clearly God is on his side. So we need to try to make amends. And so we see that play out. 
And so, you know, it, it echoes uh, Proverbs sixteen seven: when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. In verse 30, we say, we see, so he made them a feast and they ate and drank. And in the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths and Isaac sent them on their way and they departed from him in peace. That same day, Isaac's servants came to him and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, we have found water. He called it Sheba, for the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. So here we see that Isaac responds with offering hospitality. Here this big, you know, he could have responded, he, he could have said like, oh, well, so now you want to come and make peace, huh? Well, you know, here's here's my list of demands in order for us to enter into covenant. No, we, we don't see that. Instead, he responds with hospitality. He's the one that hosts a feast for them. And again, this is not a small party that's coming to visit Isaac. This likely took a lot of time, a lot of his resources to put on a feast. Um, and so that he modeled incredible hospitality there. And it, you know, it gives us a glimpse of what reconciliation can look like um, as we see that, that peace struck between um, Isaac and the people, the leadership in the land of Gerar. So we see an oath of peace is struck, followed by another blessing of a successfully dug well, which again, you know, we can easily skip over the importance of that here in our modern uh, technology, but for them to, to find water, to strike, strike a new well and, and find water was a, a huge blessing, and, and what a way to kind of confirm the, the good work of, you know, first they've made reconciliation with Abimelech and the people of the land of Gerar, and now we see God's favor in that. And so, you know, that's where we'll, we'll pause uh, in going through uh, chapter 26 because the next portion really flows well into the story of, of uh, Jacob and Esau. But, you know, whenever I, when, when I was on, on ship, uh, each, preaching each Sunday, you know, one of the big questions that I would, would ask is, you know, so what? You know, it's a big, big question in, in uh, the Navy a lot is, is so what? And even in our own lives, we, we hear stuff, you know, somebody gives us some good teaching or, or it gives us a bit of information, and we think, so what? Well, you know, it's, it's, we can easily read through, especially, um, I would say, really all of Scripture, but we can especially go through the narrative stories in the Old Testament and see and read and be like, okay, so what? what how does that relate to me? And, and hopefully we've been able to glean a little bit of that already. Uh, but one of the, you know, there's a few big points that I'd like to draw out from our text today. And the first one, again, is that we are sojourners. We are journeyers through uh, this land, through this life, just like our forefathers and foremothers in the faith, just like Abraham, Isaac, just like the people of Israel. If we, we recall from Hebrews chapter 11 and 1 Peter 2 that they, they remind us, the, the church uh, here, us today, that we are sojourners in this world. Our identity is not here now. Yes, you know, I love being in Valley Center. It's, uh, we, we just love this community and we've loved moving up from, you know, the Chula Vista area up to here. Not that Chula Vista was bad, but we just, we love the community feeling here and, and we understand, you know, why so many people love Valley Center and want to hold on to that. But the reality is, as much as we love Valley Center, as much as we love Southern California, as much as we love the United States of America, that is not our permanent 
home, that this is not our true ultimate identity. That's rooted in God. It's rooted in his covenant promise. It's rooted in his promise of eternal um, life and relationship and community with him and, and all the saints. And and what we get to experience now is, is just a foretaste, just like what Abraham and Isaac and the people of Israel, they, they got just a foretaste of what that true ultimate identity is. And so we're, we're reminded that we are sojourners. And with that, with that identity and, and reality that we're sojourners, there's also going to be persecution that comes with that. It should be no surprise that just like Abraham, Isaac, and the people of Israel, indeed throughout all of church history, God's people have faced persecution even when living, and I would say often because of how we're living, in obedience to God's word. So it shall come to us. And we see in Jesus with the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then again, we see Jesus uh, in the garden with the high priestly prayer in John seventeen fourteen. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of this world. And so again, we should not be surprised as we sojourn through this life uh, faithfully that we are going to face persecution, much like Abraham did, much like Isaac did, much like all of those who have uh, lived according to the faith before us have. And so the question that I have for us is, do we live our lives as sojourners, seeking first the kingdom of heaven and embracing persecution for the sake of the gospel, or are we focused on keeping up with the Joneses or trying to keep um, our light hidden so that we avoid persecution because we we like uh, comfort, we like our comforts, and we like our, our things more than uh, than living for God and letting our light shine brightly. Secondly, I wanted to, it, it just stuck out at me, you know, this this passage where we see Isaac repeating the same blunder that his father did not once but twice regarding lying about the identity of his wife. And uh, and I was kind of mulling over that. I was like, man, you know, so there's there's a couple of ways that this could have, have transpired. And so I think it's important for us to kind of look at this and to think like how this could have played out in the relationship of, of Abraham and Isaac in, in two different ways. And for us to reflect that on our lives, especially those of us uh, who are parents uh, or children, and many of us uh, are probably both or have been at some point. Um, so first, one possibility is that Abraham did not share these stories of him you know, calling um, Isaac's mom his sister uh, during his time in Egypt and during his time in Gerar. You know, the temptation as parents a lot of times is we don't want to tell those embarrassing stories to our kids. We want to we we're worried about how that may impact how they view us. Where we want to maybe it's out of a sense of pride, maybe out of a sense of fear of how they may uh, look at us, how they may perceive us, how they may judge us. But in doing so, in being honest with our mistakes, and again using 
using wisdom and discernment, you know, you don't want to just, you know, air all of your dirty laundry out at once, especially, you know, if, if they're not mature enough to receive it. But as our kids grow and mature, we need to be honest and, and transparent and sharing with them, you know, about our past mistakes. Don't, you know, again, we use wisdom and discernment about the details and, and when we decide to share that. But we bless them by sharing our testimony with them. We bless them by sharing that it's not because of anything special that we have done. It's because of God's grace that we are where we're at and that we are sharing the gospel. We're, we're encouraging them to live according to biblical principles, not because, you know, we were perfect and we followed them perfectly and therefore we expect them to follow them perfectly. No, it's because we recognize when we didn't, when we were not obedient to God's word, we experienced the consequences and we can share with them, hey, these were the consequences when I was not obedient to God's word. And so part of me wonders, like, maybe Isaac didn't, uh, maybe Isaac repeated this because he was ignorant about him. But then we also have to be realistic that Abraham could have said, hey, son, this is what I went through. And, and Isaac may have heard that story, not once, but twice. And still, because of the pressures of the world, because of temptation, followed suit, committed the same um, sin that, that his father had. And uh, the reality is, sometimes, no matter how much we have been warned, we stumble into sin. And it's important for us to remember, that, you know, as as uh, as we're gracious in in bringing discipline and encouragement and support to our children as they go through this, and as we're gracious and supportive to each other and encouraging each other to um, to repent and turn away from our our areas of stumbling. But knowing that there's grace for that, there's grace for when we stumble, just like when Abraham made this mistake not once but twice. God's forgiveness was there. His grace was there to restore him and bless him. And then we see that happen again with Isaac. And I don't know about y'all, but I've seen that time and time again in my life as well. And we see that God intervened through King Abimelech in spite of Isaac's uh, folly. And, uh, you know, again, I've, I've seen that in my own life where God has brought people into my lives when I've been going through either a, a season of of disobedience or rebellion or whatever you have, you know, God has brought people into my life to, you know, to lovingly and sometimes, you know, with a bit more forcefully bring that rod of correction to get me back on course. And I'm thankful that that God brought that. He says that he disciplines the ones that he loves. And so to be able to receive that and to be able to uh, get right with God, you know, I, I remember just uh, so... Um, just a bit of back history for me. I'm a, a prior chaplain's assistant. I was enlisted for five and a half years in that role and then commissioned the reserves as a chaplain candidate for six years and then just returned to active duty in 2019 as an active duty chaplain. And so it was, it was a bit of a journey, a lot longer than I, than I originally envisioned, but, you know, God's timing is better than, than our timing. And so I remember when I made the announcement to friends and family um, about being selected to return to active duty. One of my Marines that I served with uh, that deployed to Iraq with me back when, back in 2009, when I was a young RP, he was like, oh man, I just want to commend you on, on your faithfulness. You know, you finally obtained this. And, and I just rep- responded to him like, brother, I thank you, but it is not 
because of my faithfulness. It is because of God's faithfulness. And, uh, and so that's a, a wonderful uh, reminder that it is because of God's faithfulness and His grace, not by any of our works that we're saved, not by anything that we've done, that we get to receive the blessing of His covenant in our lives. Thirdly, whatever Abraham did, he passed along enough about his faith and his covenant relationship with God to Isaac for Isaac to know that it was real and to pursue it for his own. And that is the legacy that we are called to. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up, in a, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the of the Lord. And it's interesting to note, you know, I see that, um, you know, Paul is, he's, he's addressing that to fathers, saying, don't provoke your children to anger. And I know I'm like, you know, man, why is it just calling out the dads? Well, I'll be honest, transparent, you know, I I have a probably a better, bigger tendency to provoke my children to anger than than my wife does. She's there with them all day, has, has uh, been with them, knows their mannerisms, kind of knows how to how to gently nuance, and, um, and and sometimes she can be firmer than I and get away with it being much firmer than I can. Um, but what I really realize is, you know, what immediately came to mind is when I came back from deployment, where you know used to operating in that military mode, you know, uh, yes sir, yes ma'am, no sir, no ma'am, you know, quick obedience, and or there were repercussions. You know, coming back from that and kind of expecting that, you know, mindset to to continue on with the family. Let's just say that didn't go well. Let's just say I provoked my children to anger. I think that I'm thankful that my daughter Violet and my other kids they were gracious with me and kind of put up with a a, a grumpy father who was was quick to provoke children to anger. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've learned, you know, to, to scale that back a bit, to, uh, to be more sensitive, to be more patient, as I'm thankful that, that Violet and the rest of my kids and, and thankful for the wisdom of my wife kind of pulling me aside and saying, hey, you know, maybe what you're saying is right, but the way you're saying it is not right. And so, you know, again, the focus is bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so that's our hope and a prayer for our children is to obtain the faith that we have received, the faith that we love and enjoy, that they would be, uh, that they would see that lived out, experienced in such a loving manner, in such a truthful manner, a manner of integrity in our lives, where they want that for their own. And we see that with Isaac and seeing the relationship that he had with, uh, that Abraham had with God. And, and, you know, that's our hope and prayer is that uh, just like Abraham did with Isaac, that we would pass that legacy of faith onto our children. And lastly, our faithfulness can be used by God to, to draw others to him. See, Isaac continued to pursue peace rather than conflict. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, we see Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And again, Isaac showed hospitality even to those who persecuted him. You know, he, he was, you know, again, he threw the feast to the very people that drove him out, that were just constantly harassing his, his servants, that were trying to plug up his wells. He didn't respond in anger. He responded in peace, and he responded in hospitality. And I think about, uh, you know, there was a, a buddy of mine um, in high school that played soccer with him, um, and... Uh, um, sorry... 
just the the story kind of gets me a little choked up. Um, we didn't get along too well my junior and senior year. You know, he claimed that he was a Christian, but he would constantly, you know, do things um, that, you know, he was very two-faced, would, you know, around adults, people that knew him um, uh, or thought that they knew him, he'd put on, you know, this facade of being, you know, a, a good guy, a churchgoer, very respectful. But, man, as soon as they were gone, he was, you know, swearing. He was, you know, um, smoking weed, which... You know, this is, you know, Florida a few years ago. I mean, it's still not legal in Florida, especially not for minors, but um, I digress. He was doing a lot of things that, that he knew he shouldn't be. And, you know, I'd try to, you know, say, hey, brother, like, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. And he'd be like, oh, you know, you know, blank you. And, and I'm like, all right. And so, and that continued. He got, you know, kind of more and more. We, we drifted. We weren't, weren't really friends for a while. Um, he, just became very antagonistic, um, and to where I was like, "All right, man, like, you know, I'm, I don't know what what's gotten into you, but you know." So there was a period where we didn't talk for for a few years, and I, I honestly, I had a bit of a resentment in my heart. I was like, "Man, that that guy's just been nothing but a jerk to me." And um, and then years later, uh, probably five or six years later, I get a. Um, a call from him out of the blue. It was from a number that I didn't recognize. And he's like, hey, is this James? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, hey, this is Matt. I'm like, please don't hang up. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, and he just shares with me. He's like, look, like I just gave my life to the Lord. And, and I just wanted to reach out to you and apologize. Like all those times where I was a jerk to you, it wasn't, it, it was because of my heart. It, my heart was not right. And, and the light that you were shining just, the way I was living it was I was wrestling with that i was I was feeling that guilt and and uh and so he he just called to apologize and and I was like, brother like and you know I'm so glad I'm so excited and so brought you know some healing for me as well uh, but then he started asking me questions about baptism, and so it was it was just exciting to know like man, I had no idea I thought man he was just being a jerk and and I was just you know trying to endure it as as peacefully as possible um and little did I know that God was using that to work on his heart. And sometimes we don't get to see the fruit of that in this life. It's beautiful and when we do, but I know one day, you know, when we're in, in heaven spending eternity together, we'll run into people that we did not, you know, we maybe rubbed each other the wrong way. And, and we're going to be able to say like, how oh, that person is be able to come up and say, because of how you lived your life, because of your loving and enduring uh, patience and peacefulness, God used that. God used you to draw me to him. And so I also think about the story of, of Jim Elliott. Many of you may know uh, Jim Elliott and his team, missionaries to, to Ecuador. Um, they went down there, again, an example of showing amazing hospitality and love. And he and his team were murdered um, and it was, you know, a tragic story. And, you know, there's, um, you know, there's been a lot of articles published on it, even a, um, a movie, Tip of the Spear or End of the Spear, uh, which is great if you have an opportunity to, to watch it. Um, but we see that Elizabeth, uh, Elliot, Jim's wife returns or, or goes to Ecuador and shares that same love and a hospitality to the very people that had murdered her husband. And God used that to to work in these uh, people's lives to draw them to a loving, saving relationship 
with with him. And see, the world recognizes that the world recognized that there was something different, that God was at work in Isaac's life and wanted to enter friendship. First Thessalonians four, eleven and twelve says, and to that we're called to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. And Matthew chapter five, verse 16 says in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. And so again, recounting Elizabeth Elliot's testimony of enduring love and hospitality to the very people that murdered her husband, we see that God used both Jim's life and the way that he showed love and hospitality, and then her life, the way she continued that same love and hospitality to bring many people to Christ. And so, friends, as we leave here today as fellow sojourners, may we seek to make an impact on the world around us with all the challenges and blessings that come with walking in covenant with God's promise. We do not do it alone. We do it together. Here's a church family. And most importantly, we do it with God's presence in and through us. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that, Lord, that your word is is not just all sunshine and rainbows, Lord, but it's real. It's real. You have given us your word that gives us real-life examples of of your faithfulness, Lord. Oftentimes, in spite of, of our, our sin and mistakes, Lord, to be a reminder to us uh, for not only warning but also a reminder of your grace and forgiveness, Lord. And so, Lord, as we go forth as as sojourners, Lord, that we would be mindful of your grace, of your love, and of your light, and that we would share that with the world around us, that they might know and come to saving faith with you. Christ, let me pray. Amen.